Welcome to Master Class Theology. Let's open up in a quick word of prayer. Dad, we come before you and we want to thank you and praise you because you are sovereign, you are awesome, and you are wonderful. You are good, you are loving, and you are just. And we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of, of reasons to, to worship and praise you and, and things to thank you for. We've come to this point in the day, um, and we thank you because you've given us this day. This has been an amazing day, amazing weather. And, um, and I just want there to be gratitude in our hearts for you always. As we come right now, and we're going to unpack this portion of Peter, uh, this, this wonderful epistle that is quickly becoming one of my favorites, I pray that you, you engage our hearts and our minds and that you speak to us what you want to say. Um, this is all about you and, and, and the wonderful plans and, and things you have to tell us. So open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds so that we can receive what you have to say. Thank you so much for your word, for entrusting us with your word. And in Jesus' name, I just pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to read today from 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read the remainder of the chapter. So we're going to read from verses 12 through 19. Um, if you guys would open your Bibles there, that would be great. And I will begin by, by reading that. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad in his in, when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We say amen to God's word. This portion really serves more as a recap of everything that we've read up and studied up till this point. The next portion will have less to do with everything that came before, but this portion here is, is the summary of everything that, that, that we've started reading in Peter. And so he really condenses it, and he really condenses it really nicely in this section. So a lot of what we're going to share tonight may not seem completely new. There may, it may seem repetitive, but the truth of the matter is it's, it's the summary. It's the recap of everything that we've, we've been reading up to this point. Remember, when these letters were read in, in the churches originally, they didn't have the chapter-verse breakdowns that we have. So when they got these letters in the churches and they circulated them, they read the whole thing. So Peter's may not necessarily be a very long letter, but you have other letters like Romans or, or 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that have much more text. Those would be read in their gatherings. And they did not break up the, the chapters and verses. So they're following a flow as it happens. Now, we've been studying it week by week. Of course, we can read it at home in one setting or in various settings. 
But they've been reading, so they're following the flow very well. Everything that Peter sets up earlier, they've been following all along. Started off with Jesus being the living hope. Starts off where he mentions suffering right off the bat. He gives examples of how it looks like at, at, at work, at home, and in society. He gives us a couple, several imperatives. And he gives us a lot of explanation of a lot of things, all developing on the theme of Christian suffering. So here he starts off this particular recap portion by saying beloved. And I, and I love that word. And this is the second time in this letter where he uses that word beloved. Some some translations have it as dear friends. I like beloved because I it, it, it's it's a more correct translation. And I believe it. I want to know that I'm loved by God. I also like the fact that Peter uses beloved because he, he's like an elder statesman. This is a much older Peter in the 60s A.D., so you've got to figure, if we pretend that when, when Jesus' ministry in 30 A.D., that Peter was around probably 30, it's believed that Peter may have been the oldest apostle. So let's pretend that, that Jesus was, well, I'm sorry, that, that Peter was, was 30 at the time, maybe even 40, maybe he was 20, I don't know. Whatever the number is, we'll stick with 30 as kind of a good average. 30... This is 30 years later, so he's a 60-year-old guy at least. And he's writing this as an elder. And we're going to see this in chapter 5 where he identifies himself as an elder. So he's telling us we're loved. And it's that word agape in the form of this word beloved. We are loved. We are agape loved. It's a willful, intentional love. And he tells us right away, do not be surprised when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We should not be taken aback by suffering in our existence. Jesus himself came to suffer. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus talks about himself saying that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to to serve and more so to be a ransom. Those are suffering words, to serve and to be a ransom. In other words, I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be sacrificed because he's going to serve as our ransom. This is Jesus speaking about himself. Jesus also told his disciples on various occasions, but the one I'm going to bring up is, is John 15:20, where he says that if I'm persecuted, I'm the teacher, I'm the master, can you really expect any less as my followers? If I was persecuted, you better believe you're going to be persecuted too. And this is all part of God's sovereign plan, and we saw this in chapter 1. This was preordained by God. This was not an afterthought. It was not something that was like, whoa, now i got to deal with that. He knew. It was part of the plan. In God's sovereignty, suffering was included in the experience. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice And be glad when his glory is revealed. That verse right there is practically a restatement of 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7. If you look at 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, it's almost word for word, except it's not. But it's the same idea. He mentions it right away. So he starts it off, so to speak. Now he's capping it off. You're going to suffer because Christ suffered. We're sharing in Christ's suffering, but... That you, he puts a real cool purpose there. That you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
in the immediate sense, suffering produces hope and character. It also produces perseverance. Uh, James 1 addresses this in detail. He goes, and he uses very similar language because James also says, Consider it joy, my brothers, when you face various trials or trials of various kinds. He says, Consider it joy. And as, as you think about it as a person, consider suffering joy. Ugh. That is one tall order. But then he reminds us why it produces hope, character, perseverance. These are the things that it, it counted all joy. And back to 1 Peter 1.7, trials and suffering legitimize our faith and our faithfulness. They legitimize our faith and our faithfulness. They prove it to be real. They also build it up. Muscles grow when there is resistance. We grow when there is resistance. We grow stronger in the midst of adversity. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why the Christian church in America has found itself in the position that it's in right now. It has had a very, um, quote a third eye blind song, semi-charmed kind of life. It's led a very semi-charmed kind of existence. And I think that because of that, it it got soft. And I think that we're starting to see some of the problems that are coming from that softness. And persecution is ramping up. His glory is revealed, it says there. And this is upon Jesus' return when the glory is revealed. As Jesus is a reality, our subsequent so is our subsequent reward. Just as we, we are assured that Jesus is real, just as we are sure that Jesus died and resurrected, then we can, that's what Peter's telling us, then we can be sure that we are going to get that recompense. Jesus did the impossible. That's the thing that Peter constantly reminds us of, that Jesus did the impossible when he comes back to life. And he was vindicated in his suffering. That's what it, what it is. He was given a new life. And we, by virtue of, of being with Jesus, are granted the same thing. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. We talked about this and we, we, we keep talking about this. Jesus is our model. Himself, he was, in, he was insulted and he did not respond. He had the power to call on a legion of angels to liberate him at any moment. He didn't need Peter pulling out a sword. He didn't need his disciples to, to start a revolution with, with, with what? Fishing rods? I mean, seriously. Remember what was Matthew going to do? Throw a money bag at somebody? I mean, you know. They were not in a position, and they, they, they couldn't have done it even if they wanted to. Even if they all carried swords, they couldn't have done it. Not against the Roman, Roman soldiers. But Jesus had the power to call angels. Jesus had them at his beck and call. While he was 100% human, and while... He didn't pull out his God card. He had, he had that card to pull out whatever he wanted to. And he chose not to. And he did this as an example for us. Jesus wanted to show us what trusting God the Father looks like. He wanted to show us as a human what trusting God looks like. 
and he died a horrible death, a shameful death, an embarrassing death, and a torturous death. And we talked about this at length in our previous class. This is what Jesus did. He did this as an example. I don't think any of us will die like Jesus will die. Died. I'm sorry. So I don't think any of our worst-case scenarios could be as bad as Jesus. But even if it was, the fact of the matter is that the Son of God set the tone, set the example for us. One of the things that I remember hearing in the news that always horrifies me is when I think about, I remember more specifically the Coptic Christians that were beheaded. This was a couple of years back. And, you know, stuff like this is happening even now, somewhere, somewhere. You know, it even happens now. But when, when, I, when I hear about these sort of things where they, 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 they are threatening to behead you or blow your head, and, and to me, what's worse is like they grab your, your, your wife or your child or, or that person you love and they tell you to do it or they're going to do it. And it's kind of you're in a real situation there. And I would like to think I would do the right thing. I would like to think that I would honor my Lord and that my, my, my loyalty is in the right place. I pray to God never to be tested that way. But if we are, Peter's preparing us for that very reality. And you have to remember, for, for a lot of the people who were that this letter was actually written to, that was their reality. That was their reality. Things were starting to get really ugly. Again, they started off, remember, the letter is written to exiles, people that have already been kind of ousted from their homes. I remember a couple years back, I saw this really cool documentary, and a lot of people don't, don't know this, but we all know about the Japanese when they were sent into internment camps during World War II. The idea of being taken away from homes that they worked for, that they, they, they earned, that they didn't do anything to provoke other than the fact that the Japanese were part of the Axis power. But they decided to go after the Japanese people. And mind you, this shows also the level of bigotry and persecution in American history too. Um, they went after the Japanese, but they didn't seem to do the same thing to the Germans that were stateside. They didn't do this to other, you know, to the Italians. But the Japanese, they did. But they also did something similar, not, not in World War II, but they also did something similar to, to Mexicans. They're called uh, repatriated Mexicans. What happened was they were natural-born citizens already here. Back then, there was an open border. They used to live out here. In the, this is like in the early 1900s, um, before World War II, sometime after World War I. This is during the, the time of the Great Depression. So what happens is they take... Mexicans and they went to their houses in the middle of the night, not even Mexicans, Mexican descent, because one of the, the documentary was done by the grandson of one of these people. So his grandmother was actually born here. Her early childhood was here. Maybe she was like about five or six at the time. Um, she was taken with her family and put sent back to Mexico. And I'm thinking about the exiles here. You're taken out. So she, went, so she was speaking as an elderly woman, and she was talking. This is horrible because I lost the home that I, you know, children tend to be endeared to the place they remembered first. I've lost that home. So here I am taken out of my country that I was born in. She's a full American citizen taken back to Mexico where back over there, the problem was she didn't feel like she belonged either here or there. And it's, it's a horrible thing. 
And these exiles, well, they've been kicked out of where they were at. Imagine being taken out of your house. Imagine being kicked out of where you are. Just the thought of that. Now, throw anything else on top of it, you're only aggravating the situation. You are ostracized because you're different. Remember, we talked about this in, in last week, was it, or two weeks ago? They were ostracized for being different than the rest of the people. They were ostracized because they were different. We have a different way of viewing things. We have a different way of doing things. And that's going to put us at odds with the culture at large. And this is what was happening to the Christians. So they're being persecuted. And in all of this, Jesus is telling us, learn to trust God. I'm giving you an example. Oh, my good Lord. When I think about that, I just get shivers. Just the idea of, of seeing my, my family taken like that and being threatened like that. And the truth of the matter is, for all my, my ramble imagination I might have, I'm going to be completely powerless in the situation. It, didn't, it doesn't even matter if I have a gun or not. They're going to have more guns. It's going to be a powerless situation. God forbid we ever see something like that. But these people had a situation like that. Because we are blessed, we need to be fountains of blessings. We are blessed. He reminds us that we are blessed in spite of all this. And we need to be fountains of blessings. And the one I always think back is, is, is Matthew 5.44. If, if Jesus, when Jesus tells us to love everybody and he tells us, to love our enemies, that pretty much is the, the nail on that conversation. If he tells us to love our enemies, in other words, this is the worst of the worst, who is there for us to hate? Really. There's really no one for us to hate at this point. If we have to love our enemies, oh, we're that he ended it there. Okay, I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. But then he also says to pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you, he says. Man, this Jesus is tough. But he says that because we are blessed and we're called to be a blessing. So we have to bless other people. The question is, do we believe that we are blessed, especially in the midst of it? Do we believe that we are blessed? This is a real faith tester here. This is a real faith tester. But Peter's reminding us, you are blessed. Keep that in mind. Because I think if we remember that we are blessed... And we keep we make it like an intentional thing to remember that we are blessed. We're more prone to bless other people. <laughs> it's, see, I've been married for 21 years. I'm not, this is not direct at marriage, but so this would be 22 years ago. I went skydiving. Um, we went, went to East Troy, Wisconsin, because the idea is that in East Troy, Wisconsin, you're not necessarily kind of like stuck with the person all the way through with your jump. You jump only with them, but at some point. They let go pretty quick, so you're on your own. So that's kind of what, what adds to the thrill of the experience. And people who know me will say, you did that? I'm like, yeah, I did that. So anyways, the point being is one of the things that they kept telling us, and I understood it after the fact, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, was they said, okay, when you guys jump you, and you pull the ripcord, whoever throws, loses their ripcord has to buy beer for everybody. And I'm like, oh, hell no. I'm not going to buy beer for everybody. For one thing, at that time, I didn't drink. Okay? So there was that problem I had back then. The other thing was, I was a cheapskate. I'm like, beer's expensive. There's a lot of guys here. I refuse to do that. The other thing was my man card. I didn't want to check it at the door. 
So anyways, I held on to that ripcord for dear life because all those reasons that I enumerated. When you, it, it gives you that focus. And so this is the thing that Peter is telling us that we're blessed. That is that ripcord that we have so that you remember to bless other people. And that helps because it distracted me from the fact that I'm plunging to my death. Thank God the parachute worked well. Thank God that the guy's voice in my helmet was working well. So I knew how to do this or and that so I could you know, go, go faster, go slower, not end up a street pizza. I landed where I needed to. And I almost stayed on my feet. I did land on my feet, if only for a second or two. So that was pretty cool. You know, so I did land on my feet and then lost my balance and fell. But I did have that nanosecond where I... All this to say, though, when you remember your ripcord that you are blessed, you're, you're more likely to bless other people. And I think that's why Peter's telling us this. You are blessed so that you can bless other people. In Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, if you really look at it, what is it? Is it basically the world is there to put you down because you're not one of them? You don't belong to this world? And when we mean world, again, we're talking about the world system, the world in its current state, the world as it is with, with the sin stain. But God lifts us up. You know, happy are the persecuted, for they will be blessed to summarize it. Happy are the persecuted believers. Happy are the faithful because they're going to be blessed. That's what Jesus is telling us in the Beatitudes. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And this is big. This is really big that the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit serves as the deposit for our salvation. He is the guarantee of our salvation. The difference between the church and the nation of Israel is highlighted, not so much by the, the blood ancestry of Abraham, but it is highlighted by the continual indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we all have. As believers, that is the big game changer for us versus the nation of Israel. And in, in Israel's time, the Spirit of God came upon God's holy men, and then by the same token would leave his holy men. That when Jesus came and did what he did and the veil was torn, that that changed. The day of Pentecost made sure that we all understood that that reality has changed. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that is a big game changer. That is something that Israel suffered from. Not having, They believed in God. They trusted in God. They went to the temple. And they saw a lot of amazing things. They, they, they'd have to. Because they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're in a different stage. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we, we are able to believe without seeing. And Peter talked about this also in chapter 1. That we, we live in a very fortuitous time. Even the prophets, think about it. I'm a prophet, and I know I got the words of God coming out of my mouth or coming out of my pen. I've got the words of God. When we write or do anything that we do, even though we do it for God, we cannot say it is the word of God. You know, we just can't. When I teach a lesson while I'm teaching from the word of God, there is a room, an element of human error that I can make on any of these points that I'm making. But these guys were, were shielded from making those errors. And even they, remember chapter, uh, chapter 1, even they envied the fact, so to speak, that we would get to, to live in a post-Messiah era 
They were living in the pre-Messiah era. We live in the post-Messiah era. We, we live where that thing is a reality. It's kind of like they, have, they still have to wait for it to get there. It's like that long road trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We're at the point where we got there because Jesus has already came. Now our new are we there yet is waiting for that second coming. But there's a big difference between having to wait for the second coming and having to wait for the first coming. Because if you, if you have to wait for the first coming, you have to wonder if it's ever going to come at all. We already know he came once. So we know that as sure as he came, as sure as he resurrected, you better believe he's going to come a second time. If he came to suffer the first time, you better believe he's going to come again to claim his prize. So if he came for the suffering, you better believe he's going to come back for the party. And that's, that's the cool thing that we have with Jesus now. So this is the stuff that he reminds us. And we have the Holy Spirit. That's why none of us here can believe if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit wasn't in, because there's people that are smarter than we are. Definitely than me. These people are smart, way smarter than I am. And they don't believe in God. Richard Dawkins, a brilliant man, doesn't believe in God. There's a lot of guys that actually know the Bible way better. Like they can read the Greek, they can read the Hebrew. They, they are Oxford, Cambridge, uh, Harvard scholars, and they know the Bible and they're atheists. There are people who know the Bible at a deeper level. But we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit trumps all of that. The Holy Spirit makes all the difference. So we don't, while we strive to know, and while we strive to know better, that's why we do classes like this, even the fact that we don't know it all, and we don't know the Bible as well, well as they do, they'll, they'll know things and they'll do circles around us, but at the end of the day, we have the most important part of the message. We have the Holy Spirit. We have faith, we have hope, and we have love. And because of that indwelling spirit is why we, we, we have that. We must always represent as God's chosen people. Verse 15 goes on to say, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. There's a difference between, again, the big thing that Peter's talking about in this topic of suffering so it doesn't get lost, and he wants to make sure we never lose sight of this, is he's talking about undeserved suffering, unjust suffering, suffering for being a Christian. There's When, when you're a murderer, when you're a thief or an evildoer, everybody has kind of a sense about, well, yeah, karma, you know, what goes around and comes around. So there is a little bit of that at play. But more than that is you expect them to suffer if they get caught. If I get caught speeding, the cop can give me a break or the cop can give me a ticket. I deserve that. Not the same kind of suffering that he's talking about here. God forbid any of us should do a more heinous crime and we get caught. You know? I'm, I'm a ministry leader here at Celebrate Recovery and I like one of the things that one of the guys says that the only difference between me and that other guy is that he got caught and I didn't. When I think of all the times that I was drunk driving and I never got caught, and this guy, for that that once or twice that he got caught, now he has to, to, you know, he can't drive or he has to drive one of those cars with a breathalyzer 
or something like that. I, I've heard a lot of these stories. And, or guys that, that have done porn and have gotten into things like uh, child pornography and somehow they got caught. But all the countless others that don't get caught. The thing is, they're, like, they're in a bad position because then it's kind of like their marriages break up. Uh, they can't see their own kids. Horrible things like that. And they're repentant. But the sad thing is they, they're suffering what, what, what they earned. Now, what he's talking about here is that, you know, that we should not be one of those people who goes around earning our suffering. Our suffering, our Christian suffering, should be that that we didn't earn. shouldn't be because we, we did something dumb or foolish or wrong or evil. Our suffering that he's talking about, that suffering that builds our character, is the one because we, we are suffering something because we're choosing not to retaliate. We're, we're choosing not to reciprocate when we were wronged. And we're taking a wrong. Kind of like our Savior, isn't it? No? Kind of like our Savior. I, I think about it. We saw the passion of the Christ. And the truth is, for whatever the passion of the Christ was, and I thought it was a very good and visceral movie, and, and I remember how it made me feel emotionally to think that Jesus was subjected to that. And then the thought, it was worse in real life. This is still done for movie-going audiences. They were merciless back then. They were brutal on Jesus. The idea of somebody pulling your, your beards. I don't have much of a beard in my little scruff, and I think about it. But the idea that, that they whipped Jesus with, with these with these whips with bones and, and, and rocks and stuff, and it's just kind of hitting your back and having it explained. So you get these word pictures, you get these explanations. Truth is, I'm still not feeling it. Jesus felt that. And he had, and there's a difference between you and I feeling that because we we're powerless. Jesus was not powerless. See, to me, that is Jesus' greatest power. I've said this of Superman as well, but in Jesus' case, it's real. His greatest power isn't the fact that he can walk on water or that, that, that he can heal the sick. His greatest power was his restraint. Because he had all this power. I mean, I think about all the times I want to get even with everybody. Sometimes more right than others. Jesus is completely right. And he had the power to do so and he chose not to. See, this is the kind of suffering we're talking about. And he didn't deserve any of that. They were, those were false accusations, trumped up charges. They contradicted each other, the people that were, were accusing Jesus, the, the gospel accounts tell us. So there is a difference between suffering that is a consequence of living in the flesh versus what Peter covered earlier, the undeserved suffering from abstaining. Remember we talked a lot about abstaining from certain things? Living in the spirit instead. Verse 16 goes on to say, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. This is a real cool thing. Did you guys know that the word Christian in the Bible, in its original Greek form, only appears in the Bible three times? The actual word Christian only appears three times in the Bible. This is one of those times. The other two times it happens is in the book of Acts. It's in 11.26 and 26, uh, did I write it down? Yeah, 26.28. And in each of those times, they're, they're being called Christian by outsiders looking in. 
1126, I'm sorry, is where it says, and, and they were, and they started calling them Christian. Because originally Jesus' followers were called followers of the way. But somehow that, I don't know how that was Jesus' nickname of all the things Jesus could have said. I don't know why he couldn't have been followers of the of the light or followers of uh, of Jesus. They were called followers of the way. Somehow the nickname of the way stuck for Jesus and for Christians. But at some point by chapter 11, 26, they started being called Christians. They started being called Christians by the world. And it wasn't meant as a compliment. It was just kind of a descriptor, but like a put-down descriptor. And in, in 26, 28... You know when um, when when Paul's on trial, he you know he's being told you know you almost had me I almost became a Christian. Again, it's not meant in the most complimentary forms, but they were called. So here Peter, 30 years later, is owning that 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 phrase. We're Christians, and he talks about it. Let's glorify God in that name. Wow, to be associated with Christ so much so that we're given his Christ kind of title name. His, his followers are given his, his title name. Remember, Christ means chosen one or the Messiah or the anointed one in the most literal sense. And we're called anointed one ease. This is what it means. Christ, 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 chins. So anointed one ease. <laughs> That's what we're, we are. So it's like now we're like that much more closer associated to Jesus. Wow. So we're associated to Jesus. And again, this is only one of three times where that word actually appears in the Bible. Peter's continuously reminding us that there has to be a difference with the way that we respond to adversity, the way we respond to suffering, versus how a non-Christian would respond to it. There has to be a difference. We respond to adversity. We don't deny it. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. We don't, it doesn't mean that we don't lament. It doesn't mean we don't grieve. Remember Jesus, the shortest verse in the Bible, he wept. Talk about suffering moment. He wept. So we don't ignore suffering. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. In the Psalms, if you look at them, David laments. He's constantly lamenting things. So it's not saying that we don't, you know, we don't acknowledge grief or we don't express it in some healthy way. But we are always glorifying God in the midst of it. Most of those Psalms, and it's funny because David's kind of funny that way. So he writes like a, let's say a seven-verse Psalm. The first five verses is him like, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, woe is I. Oh, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. And then the last two verses is, but I will go to the house of the Lord and I will praise him. I'm like, bam. It's like, okay, I'll take it. Man, you know, it's like, it's funny that way. But the whole point of it is, some of us, we get in these pity parades and we stay there. And somehow God never makes it into, into the conversation. Somehow God just keeps getting pushed further and further away. We don't do that. We, we respond to adversity. We, we don't deny it. We glorify God in the midst of it. The passage that I was looking at, you guys can look this up later. I'm not going to read it right now. But uh, Acts 16, 22 to 25, where Paul and Silas are, are in prison after being beaten, it says. And they're singing. They're singing in, in prison. And I'm like, that's, I mean, if that's not a picture of a Christian, Christian suffering, I don't know what is. After being beaten and arrested, they're singing in prison. We don't act or live, uh, we don't act like, like or do things that, 
we don't act or live in a way as if we don't have a living hope. Because we do have a living hope. That's what Peter wants to remind us. Again, this was in, in, in chapter 1, verse 3. We don't act or live in a way as if we don't have a living hope. Other passages that, that kind of talk about things like that, and actually this is the one I used in my grandmother's funeral, was um, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, where it says that we don't mourn like people in the world because we know we have a hope. In the context of that, he's talking about people that died and they were afraid that if they died, are they going to be part of God's kingdom? There was confusion. This was the early days of the church. They, it is believed that the first Christians actually believed that the second coming was going to happen in their lifetime. It wasn't until later that the Holy Spirit revealed to them that it wasn't going to happen in their lifetime. They actually thought it was going to happen in the first century sometime while they were still around. So when people were dying, they were starting to get a little nervous like, hey, man, did we miss it? And he's like, no, no. And he explains it later. They're, 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 they're good. They're sleeping. And also when, when we die, the nice thing about when we die is that we don't lose hope. And that's why we don't mourn. We mourn. We just don't mourn hopelessly. There's a difference. There really is. You do not grieve as others do who have no hope. Is the actual words that, that Paul used. So we have a living hope. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? So he does uh, something really cool in these next couple verses. And what I'm going to do, the way I kind of broke it down is there is a now and there is a later. There is this world now. There's Christ's kingdom later. Suffering is temporary now. Suffering is eternal later. There is people who, I'm going to put it in air brackets, air quotes, uh, reward now. People that are having the good life now, you know, the Miller life and all that. And then there is, those same people are going to have suffering later. And there are those who are suffering now, unjustly suffering. And they're going to also have an undeserved reward later. And again, the illustration of the jump rope. There is the handle of the jump rope now. There is the jump rope itself representing infinity and beyond later. So we have a choice to make. What suffering do we want? Do we want suffering A or B? So nobody is without, without an excuse. So I, when it comes to where we're going to be in eternity, we all make a choice. We all make a choice in the matter. And I dubbed this section, hashtag Peter Encouragement. Verse 18. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? To paraphrase that in a, in a different ways. So if the saved, in other words, the righteous, are painstakingly saved now. That's what the whole idea of them being scarcely saved. Saved as it were. Do the unsaved, that is the ungodly, really have any hope? If we're saved and we, we're saved and we, are, we realize that this salvation that we have, while Jesus paid the ultimate price for it and we embrace it by also suffering along with him. So we're, in a manner of speaking, it came very painstakingly, our salvation. 
if you are not partaking in that, what hope of salvation do you have? We have a hope because of all the suffering that is tied to it, Jesus's, and also ours. The people who don't have it don't have that hope, is what he's saying. What will become of the ungodly and sinner? They don't have a hope. Again, hashtag Jesus Christ, our living hope. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What he's saying there, and with this we're going to wrap it up, he's saying there are a couple key things. He's saying we can trust God. We must trust God. Let's trust God. And as a result of all that, let's honor God. And he sets it up later for his closing remarks in next week as we, we get into chapter 5. Okay? This has been Masterclass Theology, and I thank you guys for, for your patience and, and listening. God bless.